When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Tennis Direct are Australia's favourite online tennis store with fast delivery and great prices. Free delivery on orders over $150. Just visit their website, tennisdirect.com.au and you can get a 10% discount store-wide. Just use the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. That's FIRSTSERVE10. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, the first serve's in-depth look at the art and science of playing the game. Well, welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. I'm Mark Sapolis, and this episode is brought to you by the Tennis Menu, where for only $99 US, you can receive an online tennis coach with over 600 drills, coaching tips, and the latest in the game of tennis. Not to mention, we have a great package by this man, Shane Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics, has a incredible data package. Shane, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, obviously, big topic today. We're going to talk all about equipment conditions and how it all relates to you know developing and playing on the big moments. And uh, thanks for joining us. Obviously, you're a busy man. It's hard to track you down, but uh, we've got you, and uh, we're pretty lucky and fortunate. So, thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, thanks, Mark. Uh, yeah, I love doing this podcast. It, it has been a busy month or so for, for all of us, really. Um, but uh, yeah, love doing this. Um, today's topic uh, is one that I've been doing a fair bit of research and um, uh, actually did something for, for 538 on it as well. And it's really looking at Rafael Nadal's numbers on the clay by various conditions. So temperature, humidity, different ball manufacturers and altitude. And, and, and we'll go through each of them one by one, but uh, I'd love to get you to sort of uh, bring it all together and, and tie it in with um, some of the equipment, strings, things that you can sort of do to manage some of these conditions as well. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of people don't really focus heavily enough on equipment and, uh, and the way that you, know, you go out there because at the end of the day, it's, it's your tool. And as a player, your tennis racket, your strings is, is the tool that you're using to go out to battle with. And you know, if you can't understand what the environment is doing and you don't adapt to it with the right rackets and string, et cetera, then it can be quite detrimental to your game and it can really hurt you in a lot of ways. And obviously during the French Open, uh, they had a lot of obviously slowness um, to the courts and they've had a lot of rain and the, the balls are heavier so players have had to adapt and we'll, t- we'll touch on that as we go along but uh, what was the first thing you wanted to bring up in terms of you know adapting to these conditions yeah so let's let's talk temperature first um and again i'm using sort of the nadal's clay numbers so prior to the french open um since 2005 he had played and won 399 times on the clay and lost 31 times so that's the sort of data set um, and, and in terms of temperature, so most of his matches were played uh, in, in temperatures in between 15 and 25, um, and not, not a hell of a lot between 10 and 15, but he, he was having most of his success temperature-wise 
in that 15 to 20 degree category. Uh, that's interesting. And like 20 degrees Celsius, we're talking, right? We're talking Celsius. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, you know, I would have thought the hotter, the hotter conditions for him would have probably been better, but um, you know, wonder whether or not there's just a little bit more depends on the wind obviously as well, but a little bit more lift in the ball in those conditions um, as he, you know, when he gets the revolutions on the ball, obviously he gets more revolutions than anyone in the game. And, and that may be, you know, something that that temperature actually helps the revolutions on the ball and actually lets it get through the air a little bit quicker. Um, but I, I would have thought, you know, obviously the, the big time players, the big servers love the heat. The hotter the, the conditions, they love it because the ball travels through the air quicker. But he needs a little bit more air time with his ball. So, and maybe a little bit of wind as well might help that to be able to get the lift uh, that he needs. So it'd be interesting to know if there was a bit of wind on those days as well that, that helped it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a, it's a double-edged sword with him. So Nadal likes the time in terms of he, he wants to have the time to hit his shots, but he likes the court and the ball to give him some assistance in terms of hurting his opponent. So it's a delicate balance where if it's too fast, it actually plays against him. And when we talk about altitude, um, particularly the event in Madrid, we can say that he's a bit more vulnerable. He's still amazing, but a bit more vulnerable there purely because of the speed. But um, that medium-fast um, conditions, I think that's optimal for him. Yeah, it's a great point you mentioned because I guess with his swing lines and, and what he needs to do with the ball, he needs the ball coming down to him. You know, if the ball's coming up to him, he finds it very hard to be able to generate what he wants. And if he gets the ball coming down, that's why he stands so far back, to be able to get below the line of the ball and give it that shape and get it to lift up the other end of the court. So, you know, it's a great point you mentioned because there's a lot of players with more rounded grips and bigger swings that really need time. So therefore, the slower conditions really help them and just to sort of highlight that point so in in the higher altitude so greater than 500 meters sea level um he's played i think 57 matches and he's winning 87.7 percent compared to the other altitude so um a slight altitude so from 25 to 150 meters sea level he's winning 96.4 and even a moderate one in 150 to 500 he's winning 95 percent so yeah there is a little bit of a drop in those conditions yeah, I mean, the drop at that level is not too bad when you look at a 96 versus a <laughs> 96 or 87%. I think I'd love to have any one of those uh, ratios, but, you know, obviously it is, and it is a slight a slight dip, and there's reasons behind those dips, and um, and obviously when it gets to, you know, the the faster slams, you know, e.g. The, the Wimbledons on the grass or, you know, a faster hard court at the Australian Open, obviously he has had success in all of them, but his success isn't as great as it is on the clay and uh, in the slower base clay condition. So, you know, it, it, it's minor, minor numbers, but they mean a big difference at that top level of the game. And you're talking about, you know, millimetres, you're talking about centimetres, you're talking about, you know, one or two degrees difference. When you're talking about a slight change in a ball, which might be a millimetre or two in terms of diameter or, or whatever it might be, can make the biggest of differences at this end of the game. And, and and you make a really good point that the, the, the minor, that there's certain players that can take advantage of it when it's just a little suboptimal for, for Nadal. Novak Djokovic has, has got him four times on the clay and Dominic team's got him five times. Um, it's just when the conditions are just not what he wants. So I, I think that's where I think he'll still beat the majority of the tour, hands down, probably wins in straight sets against most of them. But there's certain opponents that can actually take advantage of that. And you see Novak Djokovic and Dominic team with their own portable heater on the court when they're playing <laughs> Rafa just to increase the heat and the temperature on the court. Uh, that'd be hilarious if we ever saw that because I think that would be the next level of stupidity. But anyway, moving on from that, what else? 
else have you got for us, Shane? We've sort of touched on humidity, but yeah, Nadal actually does quite well in the moderate sort of humidity levels. Not too humid, um, where the ball speeds are obviously a bit slower, not getting through, but um, not too cold as well. So that sort of mid-level, which is consistent with what we've talked about, sort of a medium-fast court works for him. But I want to touch on the balls because that's been huge, this French Open. I love it because I've been... And now everyone, it's in the mainstream. So uh, I've got some really good data on this, and this is probably what stood out. So I'm, I'm going to exclude some of the the like the Trayton balls where there just hasn't been enough data. But the Babalat ball, Nadal is 55 and one, 98.2%. The Wilson ball, he's only played with it 25 times, and he's 92%. And then the Dunlop ball, which is where most of the clay court events use the Dunlop ball, he's 92%. And then he drops to. 86.7 on the head ball, which probably hasn't been used on clay since 2008-9, I think. Yeah, and it's it's interesting data because obviously, you know, he loves Roland Garros with the Bablat balls. I mean, that that is that is uh, Nadal. And, and, you know, how much is it to do with the, the conditions or the court or how much is it to do with just the clay? He just loves playing on clay. But, you know, he's had some unbelievable success. And, Again, we talk about, you know, minor percentages, but, um, you know, the balls do play a massive, massive role. And I was talking to one of my players who's playing over at the moment in Tunisia. And um, after the qualifying event, they changed the brand of balls. Absolutely incredible. And, you know, she was saying that the balls have gone from being, you know, really slow to just lightning fast. And it just changed the whole tournament. So uh, very, very interesting, you know, when it, when it comes to that. But, you know, if you're playing a tournament, if you're a player out there or you're a coach, make sure you get the balls that the player is going to use in the tournament coming up because it, it can be a very big difference in the way that the ball feels off the racket. And, you know, I know, for example, at the French Open this year, a lot of players have uh, reduced the tension of their racket. Why? Because the conditions are so slow. You know, they've dropped four or five pounds on their racket for this tournament. It's, it's incredible like to drop that amount just for, for a tournament. But I mean, if the balls aren't coming off, you need to change something. And as we said at the start, your, your equipment are your tools that you are going to work with. And you need to make sure your tools are sharp enough to be able to play at the best, at the optimal level that you can to be able to achieve success. And if they're not, then you're not doing the right thing for yourself. Now, part of your tools is your body and your mind and your game is really important, but your racket is what you are using to hit that ball. So that needs to be spot on. You need to make sure it's ready. And, and you had a story around um, Nadal and team, I think it was, at the French Open. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it was probably on, I think it was the, the Saturday or the Sunday before the, the event started. And, and they were both out uh, on court. And, and there's some good images on social media where they had a lot of rackets on court with different string tensions. Um, uh, assumedly, and, and they just kept hitting and they put it away, they grabbed the next one, keep hitting, and they were just trialing in these conditions under the roof, open roof, what would work better. Um, so, and they both actually adjusted really well. I think the first few rounds have been um, certainly hitting the ball very well. Um, and, and I think the adjusted string um, tension and, um, and and equipment changes have really helped. Yeah, absolutely. And with the, obviously the new Wilson balls, which is, uh, I think there was a quote from Dan Evans saying he wouldn't even give the balls to his dog to chew, which was quite interesting because the balls have been a massive talking point at the French Open this year. And, you know, obviously that is next level professionalism from both Dominic Team and Rafael Nadal because... It is so critical to have it to the exact level or the strings, the exact level that you need them to be at to be able to perform. And, 
you know, if the strings are too tight, your ball's going to land too short. You can't really, you know, do much with the ball. Um, if they're too loose, the ball's going to fly off your racket. So you've got to find that absolute perfect tension. And a lot of people ask me, what is the perfect tension? And I say to them, I give them this answer. It's whatever you feel perfect with. <laughs> that is, at the end of the day, it's individual feel. It's not up to me to go, oh, I like it at 57 pounds. And they go, well, hang on a sec, that's too tight for me. Well, that's how I like it. You know, so it's important for you to get your feel and whatever you feel is is the best way to do it, you've got to do it for the conditions. And, you know, these players, I know it's interesting, another point is when a player goes overseas to play, you don't have all your rackets strung up to go on the plane to go to that tournament. You have a couple strung up just so you can hit some balls. But then when you get there, you string up some different rackets and see what you need when you get there. There's no point having them already prepared when you go on the plane because you're already going to lose two or three or four pounds on the plane just due to the, the air pressure up on the, on the jet. So, you know, th- these are the little things that players take into account a lot of the time. And hopefully any juniors or coaches listening to this uh, podcast can really take something from it and, and start to look at their equipment a little bit more closely than what they have in the past. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, a, it's definitely an important part, part of the game. Um, and, uh, and I think just touching on a point you made about sort of Dan Evans, um, a lot of these players did get a, you know, a bucket of these balls, um, a box, sorry, of these balls, maybe a month or so out. And they, they were hitting at various locations in the world. But this is where all the conditions, the temperature, humidity, balls, um, uh, all of that comes together. Um, and, and, and in Paris, it probably plays differently to Mallorca where Nadal would have been hitting conditions are warmer, uh, would have been different to where Dan would have been practicing. So <laughs> You, you do have to make that adjustment once you're in the city and, and you do need to really look at the temperature on the day um, of the event. And you also have to look at, you know, if you're playing indoor versus outdoor, if you're playing on the outside courts versus on, on you know, the show courts, because there's a big difference in, you know, where there's a stand protecting you or when there isn't a stand protecting you or, you know, you're on one side of the venue or the other side of the venue, you know, is it more open or closed? And a lot of these factors come into play and, it's a lot of things that players and coaches don't consider enough of. Um, and one of the points I use to my players a lot of the time is we can dissect the opponent as much as you want and do a game plan, but you need to beat the court and the conditions before you beat the opponent. And if you can't get the ball on the court often enough, you're not going to be able to beat the person at the other end anyway. So that to me is one of the critical components is adapting to what is in front of you. And, uh, and you know, the conditions play a huge, huge role in, you know, I'm guessing moving forward as well, you know, they're going to go from this slowness of this Grand Slam into the Australian Open is the next Grand Slam in January. Well, we hope so. I mean, we're still locked down in Melbourne and we're still uh, sitting in our houses. But, you know, will it will it come through? And, and it might be 35, 40 degree heat. It'll be dry temperature, not as humid. Um, you know, the balls will be flying through the air and they're going to have to come and adapt to this and adapt to bubble life again and, and uh, yeah, become become totally different to what they are in, in France. So, you know, it's all about adapting. The tour is about adaptivity. And if you don't have that in your game, in your life, then you're going to really struggle at this level of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, it's quite interesting if you rewind maybe a month or so, US Open, uh, the courts are quicker and faster than ever before. So the players that were on the hard court and switching to the clay, it's kind of a polar opposite, almost going back to the 90s where all the surfaces played very differently. So, yeah, it's about adaptability. And I think... These guys are uh, professionals and, and they've got good teams around them. So I'm sure they, they can make that adjustment. Absolutely. And that's why you are the best in the business, because not only do you provide data, but you provide data based on the conditions, the balls, et cetera. And I think that plays a huge role because that may be the 1% difference that gets your players over the line, Shane. And that's why you are the man uh, with 
with the numbers and the count, as we call you on uh, Sesame Street. And uh, you, uh, you definitely bring the best numbers in the game. And obviously, you're still involved, obviously, second week being uh, juniors and, uh, and uh, some players, hopefully, around the world that are still playing. So, Shane, thanks for actually giving up some of your time. It's, uh, I know it's hard for you at, at the best of times, but uh, during Grand Slam, is always uh, a challenge to get you. So, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Mark. And if I'm the count on Sesame Street, we need to find you, your character as well, mate. <laughs> uh, my wife would say on the grouch, so, uh, and that would be my kids as well. But, um, you know, thanks so much, mate. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm going to go yell at some kids right now. Don't forget, First Serve has In the Huddle, Aussies Only, and the weekly episode of The First Serve is every Monday night on SEN with Brett Phillips. Don't forget to uh, go back and check out all the last couple of episodes we've done here on Crunching the Numbers. Hopefully we've been able to bring the best numbers in the game to you. And don't forget, subscribe to the Tennis Menu and also take a look at Data Driven Sports Analytics. That has been another episode of Crunching the Numbers. We'll see you next week. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content including past editions of Crunching the Numbers, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern, Aussies only, and in the huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.